Now, Scotland's talking. Call 0333 2020 401 and join the debate. Hello, good morning. I'm Ali Bally. This is Scotland's Talking. On the programme between now and midday, should there be an exception to the ban on the death penalty for terrorists? Two British jihadists could end up on trial in America, but why hasn't our government asked for an assurance that they won't be executed? Given the activities these guys are engaged in, yeah, what the hell, let's send them over to the United States and face uh, the full force of American justice. We'll hear more from Tory MP Kristen Blunt and human rights campaigners. I'm also asking you if you think we should stick to wearing black at funerals. A TV newsreader has told mourners coming to a service for his wife to leave the Hawaiian shirts at home. Also, are free driving lessons for young people a good use of public money? We'll hear from the council leader who says getting them on the road is a great investment. Modern employers need employees who can be flexible. The ability to drive can vastly improve your employment prospects. And are you fed up seeing your friends' holiday pictures on Facebook? As soon as you see the photo, you just feel a bit sad about your own life. Lots of people decided that that's it, I'm going to take a bit of a digital detox. Dr Ben Marder says he's got proof those posts are putting the rest of us into a bad mood. Music and conversation on Scotland's Talking. The phone lines are now open. 0333 2020 401. Turning Point Scotland. Scotland's Talking. Scotland's Talking and we're going to start this morning by asking if we should take a different view on the death penalty when we're dealing with terrorism. Our government's been at the centre of a row this week because of a decision to let the British Secret Services help the Americans to bring two members of an IS terror cell to justice without the usual assurances that they won't face execution. Alexander Cote and Shafi El-Ashik took part in those sickening hostage videos in Syria. Now, they were part of a group of four who became known as the Beatles due to their British accents. They were from London, but have since been stripped of their British citizenship. Labour is accusing the Home Secretary of encouraging human rights abuse, and human rights barrister Ben Keith says it's an unprecedented decision. Government guidance since the 1960s, when we abolished the death penalty, has been that we don't promote the death penalty in any way. And the current guidance is that the UK should not provide evidence to foreign countries where that evidence might be used to uh, have people uh, put to death. And Conservative MP Kristen Blunt says he has concerns too. I'm slightly anxious about it. I think I'd want to give it um, more thought. One's immediate instinct is... Given the activities these guys are engaged in, um, yeah, what the hell? Let's send, um, let's send them over to the United States and face uh, the full force of American justice if that's where they're uh, going, to end, going to end up in court. But we have rules and laws for a, for a reason, and uh, as they say, you know, hard cases make bad law. This poses really difficult decisions that people have got to make about instinctively where they would want to be and actually a cold uh, re- reflection on exactly uh, the values we stand for. And it's very difficult to make exceptions in cases of some pretty awful people like these two, uh, but that's what the law is for. So, what would you do? Capital punishment was abolished in Britain more than 50 years ago. Should we stick to our principles or allow them to go on trial with no strings attached? The Reverend Dr Richard Fraser is the convener of the Kirk's Church and Society Council, which believes executing them is not the answer. Richard, a very good morning to you. 
Good morning to you. So what, what is the, your view then, the Kurt's view on this and, and this decision? Well, we have taken the view for many years as a church that uh, we consider capital punishment to be a barbaric act, uh, an act that doesn't do credit to human dignity and that we would want to oppose it. And certainly in this case, we feel that um, making an exception, um, even although obviously the, um, the crimes for which these two men are accused are unspeakably barbaric, mm. but we feel that we must be consistent in our application of our understanding of human rights, our understanding of, of the way in which we deal with criminal behavior. So we're opposed to it. Even although they, they have been stripped of their British citizenship, th does that not come into it? Well, I, th I think there's, th th there's an issue that we have a, a sort of precedent here where, uh, as I understand it, the British government would not um, permit someone to go to, to, to be sort of, uh, as it were, sent for trial to a, a third country where they're liable to face um, the death penalty. And I think that, that basically, if we're, if we're basically saying that we're prepared to allow this to happen in this case, it opens the floodgates to thinking that there might be other cases where the death penalty would be, would be acceptable. And the reality of the situation, if you, if you really think about this, you know, when you think about what is involved in taking another person's life, it's a barbaric act, whether it's done by judicial means or done in the way that these people did it. But the reality is that, um, that if a, a barbaric act like this that, that these two men have committed, mm -hmm. it, it does seem to me that, um, that we would just perpetuate that barbarism. by, And, and we need to rise above mm -hmm. the behavior of these people, quite frankly. And I don't think that we're, we're doing that. And I think the other factor that I think is really important here is that within that, that creed of IS, losing your life makes you into a martyr. Yeah. It perpetuates a, a mythology that these people are involved in some kind of just cause. And we think that, that, is, that, that, that we would be playing into the hands of extremists by executing these people and behaving in that way. But if it became just, uh, I, I say just, not um, to, to mean it in any way, a, a, a prison sentence, um, would it not mean that at some time in the future, uh, in, in no matter which country it is, they'd be back out in the streets again? Well, um, uh, not necessarily. I think um, there are some cases, and we, we know of those in, in our own country, where um, the, the courts would decide that, that under no circumstances would, would a particular person accused and, and committed for specific crimes be allowed back into the streets. And so, um, you know, we've, we've got a number of quite notorious cases of people in, in, um, in jail in the United Kingdom who have um, died in prison because they've just been deemed to be too dangerous to right. be released. Right. And I think that probably in, in a case like this, if these men are found guilty, in whatever court they're tried in, that that, that, that would be, uh, one would assume that that would probably be the decision that would be taken because their their crimes are so barbaric. But but the thing about it is that I think what we, what we're concerned about is, you know, who's in charge here? I mean, if if our response as a nation, or as 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 people from 
the civilized world is to resort to the similar kind of barbarism, albeit you know, judicial killing is, is slightly different to what these guys were doing. But it basically means that they're in control, that we're, we're responding to their barbarism with a barbaric response. Mm-hmm. And I think we just need to rise above that as a human family. And we need to say, well, we are not going to be dictated to by people who act in this way. We're going to rise above it. And we're going to recognize that, that we should not collude in or perpetrate these kinds of acts by, by killing people judicially. Okay, let's open up the phone lines uh, and see what our listeners think. Richard, thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. Not at all. Thank you. Thank you. That's the Reverend Dr. Richard Fraser, is convener of the Church, the Kirk's, uh, Church and Society Council. So what are your thoughts after hearing the various uh, comments there from, uh, as I say, Conservative MP Kristen Blunt and also Human Rights Barrister Ben Keith as well as, as Richard? What do you think? Should the... Um, uh, should we be just saying, yeah, just lock them up and throw away the key, or in just handing them over to America with no restrictions on them? This is Scotland's Talking. So we're asking, should we take a different view on the death penalty when we're dealing with terrorism? Uh, Arthur is on the phone. Hello, Arthur. Good morning to you. Hi, good morning, Alan. Your thoughts then, Arthur? Uh, my thoughts are that we should do everything we can to make sure that the that these people are extradited and then let the law of that land take its course. And I'm firmly of the belief that we are behind the times. We can't change the laws quickly enough. We're saying that some of the the speakers are saying it's inhumane, uh, the death penalty. Well, I speak from personal experience from being a security consultant in the Middle East and Afghanistan and seen it firsthand that there's nothing, you know, these people are inhuman that carry out these acts. And I'm firmly of the belief that this should be, you know, this should be, we should be carrying out the death penalty, never mind, you know, waiting for the Americans to do it for us, 100%. We should be carrying out the death penalty just for terrorists. Or, or, where, where do we stop uh, for, then? For, well, for specific acts, you know, and, and if one of them is beheading live on camera, then let's have that. Let's have that. So uh, I, I, I don't think we'll have to... If there's a murder due to terrorism, I don't see why there isn't a death penalty. We're too, we're too slow in changing laws to keep up with it. I, I think that's our problem. And I think the, you know, the European Court of Human Rights, where hopefully we'll be out of that, but it doesn't look like it at the moment, you know, they shouldn't be in, uh, able to interfere. And if we're going to extradite people to America for a crime committed on Americans, so be it. And if it's a death penalty in that state, so be it. You know, they've made their bed and let them lie on it. Mm. I don't have any. I don't have any problems. I'm not mass. I'm not right wing. I'm not massively right wing. I just believe, you know, their families suffer, and I'm pretty sure that most of their families, of the victims, would quite happily see these pe- people being put to death in this country. Never mind by proxy in the United States of America. And, and how do you feel about those, including uh, Dr. Richard Fraser there, who were talking about possibly making martyrs out of them? And, you know, if they, they, they are uh, killed, then it, it makes it, well, you know, that's what they were wanting to happen in the first place and create I'm some glad publicity. You that up, uh, Ali, and I, I'm glad you brought that up. They keep repeating it, we're making martyrs, so, you know, manifest so that we make more martyrs, make more martyrs. 
there's millions, well, I say millions, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of, of, the, the, of terrorists with that thought in mind that, are, that would be happy to make martyrs of themselves. You know, we're not just doing, you know, we're not just having one more so that makes another three or four martyrs. I don't believe that. You know, let them, let them be martyrs. It's not doing them any good. There's still going to be more to step up whether they get life imprisonment, uh, life imprisonment or not and in, in whichever country. Let, let that happen. You know, it doesn't matter. It takes one more person that commits an act like that off the planet. They can't do it again and they're not, uh, they're not a cost on the system. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't get that argument at all. I don't get it at all. So as far as you're concerned, the government have made the correct decision? 100%. 100%. Thank you very much indeed, Arthur. Let's go to Philip. Philip, good morning to you. How do you do, Ali? How Fine, you thank you. Thank you. Your thoughts? Well, uh, this is just another instance of us telling another country how to run their laws. It's got absolutely nothing to do with us. I mean, if they were committed a crime on American soil, they should face American justice. Mm-hmm. And if that's the death penalty, then so be it. It won't be missed, I don't think. Well, I, th- I think the, the whole thing here is that if in, in normal circumstances or in previous circumstances, if we are handing people over to the Americans, we ask for the assurance that they won't face execution. This this is an unusual one that, that hasn't been asked for. Um, no. Well, we can't, we, we, what we've done is we've done our duty, right? We've extradited them, we've handed over to the Americans, right? <laughs> It's not up to us to decide their fate. It's up to the Americans to decide their fate. There shouldn't be any preconditions. Now, I noticed that you had a, a clergyman on earlier, Ali. It, doesn't the Bible say an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, mm-hmm. a life a life for a life? I mean, these two guys have committed murder. They've taken the lives of innocent men, women, and children. They've got blood on their hands. Right? It's only fitting that they should pay for it with their own life. Well, whether they, you know, have yet to be proved that they're guilty, haven't they? So, but I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, yes. But you, you are in agreement with the British government that they just send them over there and say, what in the hang, you know, um, as, yeah. as one of our, yeah. our guests said, you know, get, just send them over, right, get on with it, whatever happens, happens. Yeah, we've done our duty, Ali, right? Once they're in American hands, right, our responsibility ends. End of story. Okay, Philip, thank you very much. So there we have a couple of views there and a couple coming in on uh, social media as well, uh, backing the decision that the British government have taken. Keep your thoughts coming in uh, and we'll be back with more in a moment. Turning Point Scotland. Scotland's talking. We've been discussing so far this morning the situation regarding uh, capital punishment. It was abolished in Britain more than 50 years ago. Should we stick to our principles or allow these two terrorists to go on trial with no strings attached. And uh, that's uh, going back to, as I say, the, the first subject today. Our government's been at the centre of this row this week because of a decision to let the British Secret Services help the Americans to bring two members of an IS terror cell to justice without the usual assurances that they won't face execution. And uh, one text that comes in from Brian he says I didn't know there was the usual assurances that they won't face execution surely that should be lifted it is not our decision if they're going for trial in another country Um, and here's one from Ian and he says they do not deserve to live better than the taxpayers paying to keep them alive I would pull the lever for them 
Uh, Liz says, an eye for an eye. Soon the whole world will be blind. I despair for the human race. Keep your thoughts coming in regarding that. Uh, once again, you can get in touch by text. The text number is 61054. Start your message with Ali. Email ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk. Uh, Facebook is uh, Ali Bally Show. And you also, of course, uh, can get through on O Treble 3 2020. 401. It's only a local rate to call us, but some phone providers may apply further charges. And if you're on Twitter, it's hashtag Scotland's Talking. So if you want to comment on that, then please do so. Moving on to another subject I want to talk about today. Should funerals be a time for wearing black or bright colours? This comes about because the Sky TV newsreader Colin Brazier sparked a debate this week when he wrote about the recent death of his wife, Jo, from cancer and asked mourners come to her funeral to leave their Hawaiian shirts at home. In the article, he says that wearing black gives us a license to get upset and he was uncomfortable about more informal services. Treating a funeral like Ascot Ladies' Days, he says, trivialises death and moves the spotlight of consolation away from the family. He says he thinks it's unfair on children, and that trying to turn a sad occasion into a happy one is confusing for them. So what is your experience? According to a poll that we found in 2016, only 22% of people think you must wear black. And a survey in 2015 showed over half of us want our funeral to be a celebration of life. But what does that mean? Paul Cuthill is an undertaker in Falkirk and past president of the National Association of Funeral Directors. And he joins us now on the line. Paul, good morning. Good morning, Ali. Where did the black actually come in from then? When did that start? Well, the the black, Ali, really came to to be at the time of Queen Victoria mourning um, Prince Albert, where she she went into mourning and she she wore black for for the remainder of her day. And given that royalty um, put the the seal of approval on that, that was really where um, the the black colour of mourning came about and became accepted as what has become tradition um, in, in this country. And moving on to where we are now then, uh, when you get a request as a funeral director um, for people to wear bright colours or to wear a favourite football shirt, what is, what is a funeral director's place in that? Do you, are you just there to carry out the wishes or can you guide them? Uh, ultimately, Ali, we, we must remember that each funeral is individual to that particular family and, and as funeral directors it's our duty to, to come alongside that family and uh, to, to work with them to ensure that the funeral that they arrange for their loved one is, is fitting and as they would want it to be. And, you know, whilst we would, we would offer advice and we would offer guidance, um, we, would, we would certainly always you know, be very open to, to family's suggestions um, as, to, as to exactly what their, their wishes would be. Mm. And, and do you get asked, you know, can we do this? Uh, you know, or, or do people have their minds set before uh, coming to you for the funeral to arrange the funeral? Um, people, people come to us and they would they would have an idea, and, and they may be slightly uncomfortable with that idea. And as, as funeral directors, we would really want to work with that family to say to them that you know it's, it's not what they feel is right or what is wrong. 
uh, or what would be the norm, but it's, it's what they feel themselves would be fitting um, to, to mark their loved one's life. You know, I, I had a funeral service just earlier on this week, and uh, the, the lady who passed away was 93, and uh, the lady's favourite colour was yellow, and that family were very keen that that be, be part of the funeral service, and they encouraged people to wear yellow, and actually they, they arranged to have um, small ribbons made which people could wear on their lapels, and as people were coming, you know, some gentlemen were wearing suits as they normally would with a yellow tie, ladies were coming with yellow blouses on or yellow neck scarves, and, you know, people were very open to it, and actually as I, as I sat at the front of the service and looked at it, you know, there was just something very nice about it, that everyone had embraced that idea, and the funeral was very, very personal. Yeah, that's that's that was been my thinking as well. In that, you know, if that colour yellow meant something to that lady who lived to the the ripe old age of uh, ninety three, I think you said, then then that is showing a mark of respect for her. I would have thought. It is. It is. It's showing a mark of respect, and um, it's, as people gather together for funerals, yes, ultimately funerals are very sad affairs, but people do want to mark that person's life. You know, they've they've much to be thankful for, um, no matter what age that person may be, they've experienced great joy through knowing and through loving that person and um, and, I, and I think people often get very upset about should should children attend funerals and traditionally children would, would not have attended mm-hmm. funerals but actually children are far more resilient than people think and I would always say to a family that if, if they feel it's appropriate for a child to attend a funeral then, then so be it because ultimately if we shield them and we protect them and we prevent them from coming to funerals then we're not really equipping them for, for later life because at some point during their life they are going to be directly involved in arranging and attending the funeral of someone very, very close to them. Um, and I, I, can, I can think of a, a situation, sorry, I have my little girl here as well. Um, I, I, can, I can think of a, a, a situation I had where a, a family had, had lost a, a baby, actually very, very early in the pregnancy, and um, they, they wanted to bring the, the baby's big brother, who was, I think, six or seven, and, um, you know, and I met with the big brother and, you know, I spoke with him and explained to him about the funeral service. And then it came to the day of the funeral. And um, as, as we arrived at the house preparing to go to the cemetery, the, the little boy saw the coffin. He says, oh, what's, what's in the box? And the parents just looked at each other. And I had to get down on my hands and knees and, and have a conversation with them in a, a very down-to-earth manner mm-hmm. um, as to what this box was. And, and once he had that in his mind, he, he understood that. But ultimately, no one had sought to explain that very simple part that we always assume everyone knows what, what a coffin is. Mm-hmm. That's true, yeah. And also, uh, you know, there's, a, there's been this comment this week that children get confused at a funeral with it being called a celebration of life. Have you found that? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say I've found children being confused. I would certainly say terminology is changing where people would want to have more of a celebration or service of Thanksgiving, and that may be in a Christian context, it may be in a a more secular um, type funeral service, Um, but ultimately all funerals are a a service of Thanksgiving or celebration in some way, and I think it's just a change of terminology as, as, you know, society moves on and and changes and adapts to, to modern needs and modern trends, etc. You, you can look at how people would, um, in, a, in a street, would rally together uh, many, many years ago where 
um, at that time the deceased would rest at home and the local community would bring meals along and it would be a, a sign to the neighbours that someone had died that the blinds would be drawn so, across. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the intimation of the death would be in a local newspaper, um, whereas nowadays actually social media has overtaken that and that, that is people's platform for communicating with people and getting the message out to people. I think what I take out of this uh, is that the um, the Sky TV newsreader Colin Brazier made these comments, asked for Hawaiian shirts um, to be left at home, and that is his decision. It's his choice, and that's that really is Paul. What you're saying, it's individuals' choice as to what they want. Some people want a sprig of yellow. Some people want it to be bright. Others want it just to be uh, a Christian service. It comes down to the family and possibly the deceased who's made their wishes known beforehand. It's their choice. It does, it does. And I, and I think had Colin Brazier, you know, we, we must offer our sympathy to, to, to the gentleman. You know, his wife's had a very difficult illness from what I can gather, and there's a young family, um, and we must remember that. But had he not expressed that wish, you know, I, I suspect the majority of people would have worn the traditional black. You know, we would find in a high percentage of funerals that would always be the case. It would be in instances where where a family communicates something differently, that, that something would happen. So, you know, whilst people may not wear a, a black tie, they would wear, you know, maybe a business-style tie, which would have a very slight pattern through it or something like that. But very often, people would be wearing black to a funeral service anyway. It would be seen as the, the norm to, to do so. And, you know, as, as funeral directors, we're, we're very open to, to that, you know, whether it is that we've, you know, we see that we must still be identifiable to people in case people require directions or guidance or anything like that. So we would always ask, you know, how, how should we be dressed? And, you know, it may be that we would, we would perhaps, as I said a moment ago, wear a, a ribbon or a, a buttonhole um, or, or, or something like that. But, you know, there are instances where the, the, the funeral directors have been dressed very differently from, mm. from how people would envisage that. You know, and, and I think of the funeral of of a child who passed away, and that child was, was into all the, the comic heroes, and um, it was to be a, I think it was to be a Star Wars-themed funeral, and uh, the funeral director was dressed as Darth Vader, and, and the family had, had requested this, and the funeral director had, had worked with them on that, and actually, that was very fitting for, for that situation. Funeral director dressed as Darth Vader. That will That's a vision that will be with me for the rest of the day now, probably. Uh, Paul, Paul, thank you very much indeed for joining us and giving us the view uh, from, from yourself on funerals. And as I say, I think it comes down to personal choice. But we shall leave that open to our listeners to comment. Paul, enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you very much okay. indeed. Thank you, Alec. Thank Bye. you. Paul Cuthall, an undertaker in Falkirk and past president of the National Association of Funeral Directors. This is Scotland's Talking. A couple of questions we're asking today so far. Should funerals be a time uh, for wearing black or bright colours? Uh, that's after the newsreader Colin Brazier sparked a debate this week when he wrote about the recent death of his wife Jo from cancer and asked mourners come to her funeral to leave their Hawaiian shirts at home. What are your thoughts on that? Um, we've also been uh, talking about the... Uh, terrorism and the death penalty. Our government's been at the centre of a row this week because of a decision to let the British Secret Services help the Americans to bring two members of an IS terror cell to justice without the usual assurances that they won't face execution. Capital punishment was abolished in Britain more than 40 years ago. Should we stick to our principles or allow them to go on trial 
with no strings attached. Your thoughts on either of those two? We'll be talking about uh, another couple of subjects in a moment. Uh, here's one. Let me just go back to the, the funerals. Here's one from Mike. He says, my brother who suffered from Down syndrome and then over the past couple of years advanced Alzheimer's finally passed away peacefully 12 days ago and I arranged his funeral for Friday. I knew that a large number of his friends would be in attendance together with carers going back years and, of course, the family and friends. I wanted a balance of a formal church service but a bit upbeat as well, so I wrote a tribute highlighting lots of the nonsense he got up to over his lifetime. And then the manager of the home he was in followed that with her tribute, highlighting that even as his health declined, he was still capable of fooling about in his more lucid moments. We finished off with a jaunty hymn, One More Step Along the Road. He had been so popular that around 100 turned up for his funeral and there were a lot of laughs, more laughs than tears. I've been to more than my fair share of funerals over the years, including a few where bright clothing was requested. When someone is left with funerals to arrange, each of my parents before Philip, then I think that you can only try to decide what the person would have wanted and, importantly, what close relatives would expect. Mike? Thank you very much indeed for sharing that with us. Again, as I've said, it comes down to, to personal choice. Um, there's one in here from, from Liz. Let me try and get it up here because she sends it in a funny system. There we go. Uh, morning. Uh, I think a funeral is a personal affair and it should be the family's wishes to what happens on the day their loved one's funeral. I was at a funeral and remember where the loved one had asked for the song The Burning Ring of Fire to be played and thought what a good sense of humour they had, and it lifted the mood to where people saw the funny side, and they had a little laugh. Scotland's talking on a Sunday morning. We hear a lot about council cutbacks, but did you know there's a local authority that is funding free driving lessons for young people? It's a scheme from West Dumbartonshire Council, aimed at young apprentices and others who've needed support from the care system. The idea is that getting a driving licence makes it easier to get a job. Last year, 52 young people were on the scheme. They get 20 lessons with the possibility of more if they need them and their first driving test is paid for. Council leader Jonathan McCall has been telling our senior reporter Colin Stone why he thinks it's a good use of money. Jonathan, just explain to me first of all what this scheme is all about. We want to address a significant challenge with a high percentage of young people claiming jobs because of in Western Bartonshire. Being an area of high deprivation, it comes as no surprise that we don't compare favourably with the national average in this regard. And our aim is to support young people to overcome barriers to employment within and beyond Western Bartonshire. By providing this support, we will assist young people to seek a broader range of jobs. You know. Modern employers need employees who can be flexible, that can work varying shift patterns, work in remote locations where public transport isn't available, and the ability to drive can vastly improve your employment prospects. And sum up for me, if you can, why this scheme is happening. You know, many things can prevent a talented young person achieving their uh, their full potential without a bit of support. They might have a disability, there might be a gap in skills or qualifications, maybe they're one of our young carers, maybe they're, they're, they're caring for a loved one or just in need of some support to boost their confidence. Now, I believe that these are merely bumps in the road towards employment and our scheme will give priority to young job seekers with multiple barriers to employment. 
and tell me what kind of candidates are you looking for? Uh, a number of places, um, around 40%, are going to be offered to modern apprentices who, when they have a driving licence, will be able to compete for a, a much wider range of jobs. Uh, further to that, as part of our commitment to support our own care experience young people, 20% of the places in the scheme are going to be reserved for them. Now, this is the year of young people, and I'm absolutely determined that we do everything that we can to improve the lives and prospects of our young people. Hopefully, that's a goal that everyone can get behind. So... What do you make of that? Do you think it's a good use of council taxpayers' money? Are there more urgent things the funds should be spent on? Or is it a very sensible investment? If it gets them a job, they'll be earning money and paying tax, not living off benefits. How is it any different to parents who can afford it paying for their kids' driving lessons or indeed for the really lucky ones buying them a car? What are your thoughts on that? Let me know. Here's the ways you can get in touch. Text 61054 and give us your comments. At 61054, start your message with Ali and then your comments. You can email ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk. And, of course, you can phone in and talk to me. The number is 0333 2020 401. That's 0333 2020 401. It's only a local rate to call us, but some phone providers may apply for their charges. Pauline! Good morning, how are you? Good morning, yes, thank you. You're I'm, I'm absolutely gobsmacked. Fortunately, I don't stay in Western Bartonshire, but I'm absolutely astounded that if you don't, if you're not working, if you're not, and you're in job seekers, they're now going to pay, they'll say, whatever it is, £500 for you to do a driving lessons and then pay for your test. My son is going to university, has worked through that university, has put himself through driving licence and a driving test. He's got no help from anybody. Mm -hmm. But his biggest problem now is he can't get a car because his insurance is astronomical. So we're going... So that's what I'm saying. It's a complete waste. I'll put it across as my... My take on this is it's a complete waste of council tax money because you can have all these youngsters with driving licences, but they can't, A, they're either going to be running about in cars, which will just be heaps on the road, and they can't afford to repair them, so they're then going to be dangerous. But that's if they even can afford the insurance. So... Before, you know, the, the prob- probably the bigger problem or the underlying problem lies with an insurance company. Not every young boy under the age of 25 is an idiot. But the insurance company treat them all as young to idiots. But yet they don't see that these boys are, are going to their work in their car. Or in my son's case, they're going to university and they want a car. And he's got a degree and he needs a car to, to further his employment prospects, where's the justice in that? I, I'm totally with you on the insurance thing. I think it, uh, you know, have, having had a couple of youngsters who are past that age group now, but um, when they do try to, you know, uh, afford a car, then the insurance does, uh, it's, it's been that for years, and, and it's, it's to me it's yeah. it's it's not right. It needs, it's, it's, it's a problem that the insurance company have. It's a, it's a way of... Um, 
uh, getting some extra money in, and they really do pile it on because not every, you're quite right, not every under 25 year old is, is um, going to be an idiot. an idiot on the roads. But mm-hmm. having said that, come on here, Pauline, we have a situation where a council are not going out to buy people cars and these youngster cars. They're, they're in the main looking at those that have been in care, in the care system, who need some support. There's no saying they're going out to buy a car, but if they put them through, give them the lessons and put them through the, the driving test and they pass it and they go for a job that, that requires them to have a driving licence, there's more chance of getting it, have they not? There's more chance of getting that job and getting on that first step of the ladder. It doesn't mean they're going to have to buy a car. It's all about helping them and helping their employment prospects. Well, then the, the, the flip side of that is why not treat them like everybody else? You go out to work, you go through... You go through the education system, you maybe get a bit of help to get a job. Once you're in a stable job, you stick at that stable job and then you buy it. And then you put yourself through a driving licence and then you buy a car and then you insure it and go through the, the, the process. What kind of message is that sending out to children or young adults of families who have done their best to bring them, you know, when I say done their best to bring them up, I mean say, you know, we maybe don't have much in physical hard cash, but this is how you live your life. You you get an education, you get a job, you then accrue whatever you want to accrue with that, be that a holiday or a car or a whatever or whatever. But, did but, you, basically, but basically what this council is saying is, and as I say, unfortunately I'm not in Western Bartonshire, what is the difference between... My son, me, who's brought my, my son up to go out to work, to, you know, find a job, mm-hmm. go to university, take a, have a life work balance. When, when and then, been, and then. Wait a minute, Hank, you've been through that. When your son no, was, when I'm your just, son was 17 and he was, yes. he was available, you know, he could then apply for a licence and then go and take driving lessons. Did you help him out with any of the driving lessons or did any of the family or did he have to wait and save for it himself? No, he waited and he, he saved for it himself. He found a part-time job and he paid for these driving lessons through his part-time work earnings. Right. So the family but didn't help him at all? No. And what I'm saying is, basically, if you take it, ignore myself in this situation yeah. and take my son, my son's going out to work. My son's stood on his own two feet. And he's actually no better off than somebody who's who's claiming benefits. That doesn't that doesn't give out the right message in life, does it? Well, we'll leave that open and let others decide as well. Pauline, thank you very much indeed for your thoughts. Uh, do you agree or do you disagree with Pauline? Let us know. Stephen will let us know. Morning, Ali. How are you today? Uh, just fine up until now. I've got a quick thing I'd like to say is I went to a funeral many years ago in Lamb Hill and there was an orchestra round the grave, Ali. There was 12 members of an orchestra band and they all sounded... Then they were all on the clock 10 years later when the wife died. The minister done a duet with the son with guitars. Funerals are what I'm saying. Funerals... Absolutely. I think it's all individuals. That's what it's, it's you know right. what the individual right. wants. Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to that lady there. Her son chose a wrong career move there. 
Because a lot of folk go to university, and there's a lot of subjects that are a waste of time, Ali. But I think it's a great thing, not just for councils, but for all employers, for giving people, if there's a job there, and if the people can show that they can be employed, they either go to the job centre to get this funded for any kind of driving licences. You need that many licences now for buses, lorries, tractors, diggers. There's loads of courses out there. But the danger that I see with it is, is there's a lot of favouritism and a lot of nepotism through councils and other places. It's only selected people are sent for these B-class of jobs or so kind of jobs. Then once they get the driving licences, they're only there two or three months, then they are on and it's thousands and thousands of pounds. It's wasted a taxpayer's money. There should be something stamped in when these folk get a job. It doesn't matter if it's a young fella, up to the HGV, PCV licence. They said, if you're not there have two years, that you pay back every penny. Mm. A lot of bus companies... Did you, I was going to say the bus companies do that, don't they? Aye. There's only certain ones do. Uh, a bus company, I can't name them for legal, for, for legal reasons. There's one company that used to do it, or two of them did. Only one does it now. If you're there two years... You're fine, but if you leave there, you've got to pay back. They can be up to two to three thousand. Yeah. That's really what the cost. But there's a, local authorities. There's not one. I think there's 32 to my memory. Local authorities in Scotland. They don't adopt, adopt that, that that policy, and that's what they should do. Because say they get they get hundreds of thousands of pounds to have for, for years and years to retrain people and take folk off the poverty ladder then that's fair enough. That is the way it should be. But you know yourself, in an ideal world, it doesn't happen. But folk go like, well, that poor wee guy that got a driving licence and he got a bus. Well, my poor son, he's been through all that and he's got nothing. Well, it's a career move. You, you take what's going to be important, what's long-term and what's going to benefit you. I would get a driving licence before I would go into any university course at any. It's the most important course is the one you do first to get you on that ladder. Turning Point Scotland. Scotland's talking. Scotland's talking on a Sunday morning. Should funerals be a time for wearing black or bright colours? Helen, thanks for getting in touch. She says, traditions over many years have changed regarding wearing black clothes. My mum died 13 years ago and her funeral was a celebration of her life. Death is part of life and something we are guaranteed to happen to us all. So to remember the individual is most important for what they brought into to life. Thanks for that. Uh, John's on the phone. Hello, John. Hello, Ali. How are you doing? I'm OK, thank you. So, well, at my age, Ali, yes. I'm at an age where it's well, near the time. I've been away organising my funeral, you know, because you've got to do that, you know. In case anybody doesn't pay for it, because it's quite expensive now, funerals. So you have you have you been doing this recently, then, John? Well, yes, I'm getting at a certain age, Ali. You look upon life as it comes along every day as a bonus, and you don't know what in the day or whatever is going to happen. But I've got my place. Let's see. In case radio team wants me, it's four three nine Wellfield seventy P. That's a permanent address. <laughs> okay. Right. So, but, that's not me, Ali. The rest of my day. So, again, black, black clothes or bright ones? What do you want? Ali, Ali, I couldn't give a, a whatever. You can come and make it if you want. It doesn't bother me because I'll be gone. And it, the only thing left after you've gone is the memories of people who knew you and things like that. Can, they'll always have memories. But when you're going up there in the box and upstairs, 
and you put in that place and everybody, you've forgotten until the memory, the memories stay there all the time, and people remember you through memories, you know. Right. I mean, so it's going to happen to everybody. And a good thing about Ali, I'm a Christian, and I believe that the man upstairs promises me everlasting life. So there you are. What, what, what can I, it's good in that. Well, it can go with everlasting life. It, dep- you, it depends on your belief, doesn't it? It really just well, depends I, on well, your belief. I'm a hundred percent belief, Charlie. Okay, because right. it's in the Bible and it's true. To me, it's true. Really. So uh, nothing wrong. With it. We've all got to face this. It's difficult because in the past I've had different people die, rose of friends die, and young. But it's something you, it's going to happen. You've got to try to think what you, what do you want, what do you want, because you'll be going anyway. But, it's another life, sorry, I suppose. But oh, even, you, even you, Ali, you know. Oh, I, I <laughs> know. A, it's, it's, you're absolutely right. A, you just never know, do you? What, you when when, when you, you went, hang on, when you went to organise your funeral then, uh-huh. what was what was going through, you, you know, as thoughts? Was it a sad occasion or was it just like going in and paying a bill for your milk getting delivered or whatever? <laughs> well, it, it was a, a thought, Ali, because... It's the last thing you're doing this God's earth, you know? Yeah. And what you want, personal things, what you want, and hoping that the people behind you will do that, you know, because they'll do that, what you said, because when you're born, it could be different, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's a wee bit of a thought. See, when you're young, you never think about these things, but when you're older, it's, <laughs> it's a thought, you know? You're thinking, is it today, tomorrow, whatever, you know? So, but again, I've got everlasting life through a man that is upstairs, and he's promised me, and he didn't break his promises, he always tells the truth, not like us. <laughs> okay then, John, well, I wish it's many years uh, before we we ever hear that that's, uh, the funeral's been brought into place for you, John. I'm sure it'll be many years. He's a, a very fit gentleman. Uh, John, thanks for that. Joseph. Good morning, Ali. Good morning to you. Which subject are you going to talk about I'm today? I'm the terrace, Ali. All right, okay. Well, if we go to their countries of birth, Ali, we've got to abide by the rules of their parliaments, what you do over there. And we are too soft when it comes to the thing. Well, I couldn't understand the Labour sticking up for this, this, these persons. They forget themselves. They had one MP, you know, get murdered by a right-wing person down in England, you know that, don't you? Mm-hmm. Why did they say anything about that? Uh, hang him, but they don't want a terrorist hung. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't understand the, the double, double standards there. Understand you know I mean? where you're, you're, you're coming from. Yeah, but as far as you're concerned, just let them get on with it. Get them on with it, Ali. If they've got the evidence there, and what's the point of the British forces, the American forces, undercover over there to find these type of people and bring them to justice? And this, I can't understand Labour at all, because as far as I'm concerned, they're, they're a done thing because... They're costing this country millions of pounds with their attitudes, according to this. And why, why bring them to court and spend all these millions on them? Because, and, and send them to prison to look to the prison alley, they're giving in hand from themselves, you know what I mean? OK, thank you very much. Ian's in Pennycook. Hello, Ian. Hi, Ali. OK. Uh, Ali, I'm just thinking, I'm on about the, uh, on about the funerals here. Uh, well, OK, now I can only say in the 50s, growing up in the 50s, Ali, uh, obviously you're a lot after that. I wish. The cur- the curtains, I wish. Ali, the curtains were shut in the house for a week, yeah. and there was no television allowed to go on. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, Ali, a, a friend of mine, he used to race, uh, used to race motorbikes, and uh, what I had re- what the family's request was, might have been his request as well, uh, got a motorbike and sidecar, so that the coffin went into the sidecar. Now, this is a proper organised thing and a proper uh, set up and whatever organised way above board. 
and uh, he went, well, he used to race uh, motorbikes around the East Fortune. Mm-hmm. And and, he, and the family requested that the, the, the motorbike and sidecar went a lap East Fortune, and then it went to the crematorium. But his three sons were up talking about his father, and honestly, the place was in stitches. The, the, kind of, the, the, the three laddies, okay, then they've lost a, a loved one and whatever it be, but just telling stories about their dad. He, he was into fishing, he was into Robert Burns, he was into his motorbikes, and the three lads were talking about absolutely fantastic. Now, one of the guys that had, you had on earlier on there was talking about the, uh, having an orchestra in the, in the crematorium. Well, I was at one, uh, a guy I used to work with, and there was a jazz band there. But, I mean, the, the, the guy was... It was it was departing, if you like, uh, and and well, maybe no one soul, but but in body anyway, uh, for for this for this, for this venue uh, to the music that he liked. That's it, yeah. And, and I also see Ali. I mean, whether it's Eric Idle singing the brighter side of life or Frank Sinatra, My Way or or Markham and Wise, that that's that's their style. That that's what they want. So. Uh, a lot of times I've not got anything written down for myself. Whether you have or whether you know or know like the gentleman that was on previously there, going into the undertakers to get it organised, I've not got anything organised, so whoever's going to do it, I don't know. But uh, I hope you and I both go out with a smile. That's what I would like to hear. Thank you very much indeed, Ian. Thanks for that. Uh, talking about should funerals be a time for wearing black or bright colours and um, just generally uh, what people expect from funerals, um, and that follows on the back of uh, Colin Brazier sparking a debate this week when he wrote about the recent death of his wife, Joe from cancer, and asked mourners coming to a funeral to leave the Hawaiian shirts at home. Uh, he was saying, treating a funeral like Ascot Ladies' Day trivialises death and moves the spotlight of consolation away from the family. So just asking your thoughts on that. Uh, also your thoughts, if you're on Facebook, are you fed up? Right now, your timeline seems to be full of everyone else's holiday snaps. Research just released by University of Edinburgh proves you're not alone. Nine out of ten of us say it makes us feel bad when we read about our friends' adventures. Dr Ben Marder is from the Edinburgh Business School and was lead researcher on the project, and he's been discussing the findings with Callum Clark. We wanted to uh, understand what the psychological and behavioural effects were uh, when people see those, you know, cringe-worthy vacation posts on Facebook, you know, I'm having such a lovely time with my husband, champagne, uh, feet in the sand, that kind of post. We found that 90% of people felt in their lives they weren't, they weren't satisfied. And when they saw a vacation post, that made them feel sad. And what do your results tell us? Yeah, well, uh, we, we, show, we showed them, like, uh, kind of, um, like, fake posts to get, get their reactions to it. But the, the results basically say that people feel bad when they see um, vacation holiday posts by their friends because, like, either they, don't, they feel like they haven't got enough love in their life, they don't spend enough time with their partner or their family, or uh, they just don't have enough adventure in their lives. This is particularly pronounced for uh, women versus men. And do you know how long this drop in mood lasts? Our, our study didn't look exactly at that, uh, but uh, based on the theory and sort of anecdotal evidence... People just like you. Just feel a little bit. As soon as you, as soon as you see the photo, you just feel a bit sad about your own life. You probably sat there in a, in an office or in a traffic jam, like flick a few phone or something, and then 
you feel this momentary sadness, and what we find is that this momentary sadness, sadness kind of uh, sparks different behaviours. Does this encourage us to book our own holidays? Yeah, um, yes. So that that's what one uh, behaviour, and that was particularly found for people born uh, before the 1980s. Um, but there's lots of other other behaviours. So it's not just booking holidays. Lots of people decided that you know when they felt a little bit sad, that's it. I'm going to take a bit of a digital detox. I'm going to uh, not use social media so much, or I'm just going to when I see vacation posts, I'm not going to look at them properly. I'm just going to flick by them. Some people just went out and just kind of bought stuff like ice cream. Really? Dr Ben Marder, there from Edinburgh Business School, chatting to our Callum Clark regarding people feeling bad when they see vacation posts on social media. I never feel bad when somebody puts their photographs up there. Comments in our house says, Good grief, look, these two are away again. So, what do you think? Should we think twice about keeping everyone updated about our travels? Or is knowing that you're making everyone jealous half the fun of going on holiday in the digital age? And look, look what I've got. A massive cocktail while you're sitting back at work here. Just don't get this, that it makes people feel bad or sad. I'm sorry. (laughs) Dr Ben, get a life. This is Scotland's Talking. On the phone lines, we have Ronnie. Hi, Ronnie, how are you? Hello, how are you doing, Ali? I'm fine, thank you. Your comment then, what's it about? Yeah, what is it? The, the driving. I used to run a, a project down here in, in Sankar and Dumfries. Uh, we called it Arrive Alive. It was to get young people into driving, uh, to get them jobs. And it worked. I thought it was a great idea. It worked mm-hmm. perfectly down here. It worked in what way? Did it, you know, we, we've had them, you know, people saying, well, they can't always afford the insurance, they can't go and get cars. Yeah. But that, you were, you were hoping that they would get, would they actually be in helping get into a job in the fact that they had a licence anyway? Yeah, that, that, that's uh, the, the thing. We worked with the uh, office, the, the other agencies to get them into jobs. Right. And the college at Dumfries and obviously the job centre, we worked with them and all. But we done a thing, uh, we, we had a guy come down from Cumnock and they run a thing, Arrive Alive. Mm-hmm. And this was run out up in Aberdeenshire and all. And what it was, it showed them really graphic photographs of uh, the young people, you know, crashes and all that, to try and stop us to make them drive better. Right, yeah. Uh, we also had a local garage brought a car that was a smashed up car. Actually, there was blood on it. And uh, just to show them, trying to get through to the youngins that, that you know, this you had to drive properly. And it, it really helped a lot, a lot of people. I'm in Dumfries quite a lot, and uh, the people there are uh, still saying, you know, thanks very much for getting us on this project, and they're working. They're right, working. Right, right. Yeah. And is the project still running, or is it...? No, we, we haven't retired now, but what happened was we had it going another year, and uh, we got money from the Scottish Government, but Dumfries and Gallery Council wouldn't match it, so it stopped, unfortunately. Yeah, that's pretty sad when you've got something that works, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I think it's all down to very much education with, yeah, with young yeah. drivers. Aye. You know, let them see what actually can happen. Yeah. Um, because it's a big responsibility driving a car. Oh, yeah. And the, big, the other thing, too, the police came, uh, the safety officers come up for them freeze and again showed them videos of what driving, how to drive drunk driving and all the rest of it. And uh, also with the local police came out and told them all about what can happen. You know, these asbos that can get the car right. off them. Yeah. So I thought it was a brilliant thing, but unfortunately it stopped. 
I think it's a good thing to go ahead with and uh, get these. I, I totally understand the hear people come on about insurance and that, but there's a thing they can go on a fast plus, yep. and that saves them ten percent on their insurance if they get that. Ronnie, thank you very much indeed for, for giving us that. We're running out of time now. Um, just go to a couple of comments that have been coming in on social media. You've got Sol's here now. So you've hello, got, good morning. Hello, good morning again. Um, one there from someone talking about driving. Yes, Sharon Robertson says, up the age for driving to 21 to 25-year-olds as a lot of young drivers are irresponsible, some with irresponsible parents gifting them cars such as Ferraris or make every car have a slow speed limit. Preventing high-speed crashes. What's her name? Sharon. What a load of nonsense, Sharon. Exactly. Yeah, my what thoughts. a load of guff. Right, OK. Here's another one that comes in, and it's from Derek. And he says, "We all. Well, this is regarding the holidays on social media. We were not planning on going on holiday this year, but because we saw pictures of family, friends and work colleagues, we ended up going away for a week. It costs us £2,000 for the holiday and spending money on top during a heat wave in the UK. If it hadn't been for social media, we would have stayed at home. Derek, let's rephrase this. You say we were not planning. You mean you were not planning. And when you say it was social media that convinced you to take a holiday, no, let's face it, it was your other lady who said, let's go on holiday, and away you went. And you can afford it. Final one from Janie. As my granddad always said, it doesn't matter what you wear to a funeral, it's the fact that you make the effort to go that's important. That's very true. It yes, is. going back to the funeral situation. Um, right, uh, here's another one. Redriving lessons. It's only two months ago we had demonstrated re West and Bartonshire Council refused to cut the green space areas due to lack of funding. After demos and media, they, fund, they found the funding, surprisingly, and grass is being cut. So how do they manage to find funding for lessons? Yours, a Western Bartonshire resident. Thank you for that. Okay, and I think we've only got time for one more. Okay, and it says, Ali, I'm sure the man who lost his wife and wanted everyone to wear black has the best intentions in mind, but I think you should consider how it will look through the aisles of a child and how his children could be affected. Well, I'm sure he took that into consideration. But uh, Catherine goes on to say, when I sadly went to my grand's funeral age 10 and everything then was all black, it had a profound effect on me that I would not say was positive. I also didn't think everything in black also represented my grand, who she was. So there we go. It really is down to the individual, I think, as far as funerals are concerned and what to wear on funerals, which is what we've been considering. And also, as far as the terrorists are concerned, the calls and texts and everything else that's been coming in today very much seems to be send them on their way and whatever the American government uh, want to do, let them get on with it. Uh, so thanks for your comments on that as well. I'm Ali Bally. Uh, this has been Scotland's Talking. We're back again next Sunday from 10 o'clock. Thanks to Rob for putting the whole thing together and to Saul for taking your calls via social media and the telephone. Whatever you're doing for the rest of the day and the next week. Enjoy. Bye-bye. Turning Point Scotland. Scotland's Talking. Like and share us. And come back for the next episode next week.